The reason is because anytime the Bible is trying to teach you something practical, it's sourced in a foundation. <clears throat> so often in the scripture, when we have books of the Bible that deal with a lot of practical stuff, we need to understand that there was a, most of the time before that, there was a lot of doctrinal stuff laying a solid foundation. And you're going to see how important that is in the, in the course of the next couple of months. Um, so Paul spends about three chapters talking about a solid foundation of what happened when you and I put our faith and trust in Christ. He gets to chapter 4, and Paul now gets into the practical. And, and when Paul starts talking about the practical things, he starts talking about this idea of, now that God has saved you, now that you have become a Christ follower, a person of the way is what they would have been called during this time. Now that you've been called a person of the way, God wants you to grow up. God doesn't want you to stay immature. He wants you to grow, and he wants you to develop, and he wants you to be the kind of person that he intended for you to be. And so Paul then starts talking about some of that, and he talks about the idea that God expects you to grow, that God has given you the tools to grow. He talks about the idea that not only did God save you, but God gave you a gift God gave you something to use in the kingdom of God, and you need to figure out what that is, and as a church, we're helping you do that. And then he gets into the section that we've been in for the last couple of weeks, and will be for this week and next week, is the idea of, in order to grow and change, you have to put some stuff on, off, and you have to put some stuff on. Just like many of you are not going to stay in these same clothes all day long. You're going to go home, you're going to take these off, you're going to put something else on. Um... Paul said, in the same way, as a Christian, you have grown up around Gentile things or the way the world does it. No, we don't do it the way the world does it. You need to do it the way God wants you to do it. So he lists a bunch of things to put off and put on. He talked about the idea of putting off lying, that we need to be honest with ourselves and, and, and God, and we need to learn to speak truth. Um, he talks about the idea of stealing, that... We don't steal because we work to be able to give to people that, that have need. Um, he talks about the idea of putting off this idea of the way that we talk. We're going to spend a lot of time on that today. Um, and that, that we need to talk differently. And so talks about the way that the world walks and that it handles things a certain way and we shouldn't do that. So this morning, what's going to happen is that the next four verses that we're looking at, we're going to look at two this week and two next week. The two that we're looking at this week are negative. The two that we look at next week are positive. So today we're going to lay the foundation of a bunch of things we need to put off. And just like we talked about earlier, the principle of replacement, when you take something off, you put something on. So next week we're going to talk about what you put in its place. But this week, I want to just kind of let it ruminate with you all week long about these things because they are so practical. And if you can get through this service without any of this applying to you, please see me because you can preach next week. Um, because these are things we all struggle with in some form or another. So with that in mind, Ephesians chapter 4, he's going to lay a groundwork before he dives into it. And here's what he said. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> and do not grieve... The Holy Spirit of God, uh, let's see, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So let's walk through what he's talking about. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So let's just talk about the Holy Spirit for a minute. 
Paul has already talked about the Holy Spirit in Ephesians. He's talked about the idea in chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit seals you. He brings it up again here. So we'll talk about that in a second. We believe in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy, Holy Spirit. We believe three in one. Um, that's the idea behind Trinity. Three in one. The triune God is what um, theologians say. We believe that they are all equal. In other words, one is not more important than the other. They are all equal. In theology, we say they're equal in essence. However, when we study the scriptures, we see some distinctions. Um, We see them doing different things. Although they're equal, and this is going to play out when we get to chapters 5 and 6, so this is an important concept. Although they're equal in essence, they have different function. In theology, we say it this way. They're equal in essence, subordinate in function. Because when you study the scriptures, here's what you find. You find that although they're equal, God the Father sends God the Son. God the Son, when he leaves this earth, sends God the Holy Spirit. When you study the roles and how their responsibilities are, the Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus. And when Jesus is here, he always points people to the Father. So you see an order, but they're still equal. Does that make sense? Okay. So there are certain characteristics that we understand when we start looking at the Holy Spirit. And one of the things about the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit is probably the most sensitive of the Godhead. Um... I would say that the Holy Spirit would be similar to a nurturing mother versus a strong father figure. The Holy Spirit, when we we read scripture, here's, here's some of the things that it says about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. The Holy Spirit can be obeyed. The Holy Spirit can be resisted. The Holy Spirit can be reverenced. The Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, we see that here, and the Holy Spirit can be outraged. And it's interesting, when we look at the Holy Spirit, it's like he's the part of the Godhead that responds to us, and here it says you can grieve him. Now, let's talk about how important that plays out for a second. The Holy Spirit is a person. You can't grieve a thing. You can only grieve a person. And the person, and in order to grieve a person, that person has to care about you. So that's an important aspect to this. So in other words, when I talk about grieving the Holy Spirit, I have to understand I'm talking about a person. I'm not talking about a thing. I'm not talking about an entity. I'm talking about grieving a person who genuinely cares about me. And we're going to talk about this kind of in depth as we get farther along here. But here's what you need to understand. It's not grieving the Holy Spirit is not about me, the Holy, me hurting the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit is about the Holy Spirit hurting for me. Let me give you an example. Okay. Um, a, a, A good parent. A good parent wants what's best for their children, right? So if a good parent sees a brother hitting a sister, what does a good parent do? Oh, that's okay. They'll grow out of it. Survival of the fittest. Let the strongest one win. No. 
A good parent hurts for both children. One, the one that's being hurt or hit. And two, that the other one learned that that's not the way to live. That's not the best way to live. So the good parent looks at that situation and goes, I'm grieved for both of these children. I want this to stop. It's not about the, 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 the kid hurting the parent. It's about the parent saying, I want something better for both of you. That's what we're talking about. Paul said, be careful that you don't grieve the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit in heaven is not going, look, you're, you're making a choice here that is not for your benefit. It hurts you. I don't want to see you go down this road. And Paul says, look, don't do that. Don't put God in a, in a, in a position where God's going, you're making a really bad choice here, and this... I hurt for you because this doesn't end well. That's what he's talking about. And notice he says, you were sealed. <clears throat> a seal was, in this day, it was, it was usually it was a piece of wax and it was an imprint on it. And, and what it meant was it, was it was an authenticator of something that was genuine. This is genuinely for the king or from whoever it is. We have seals all day in our world, by the way. When was the last time you opened an aspirin bottle that didn't have a adult proof lid on it you know you got to take it out of the wrapper and then you got to you got to go find a kid to get the cap off and then then there's this big seal over top of it that you have to poke and you never have anything so you're trying to poke your finger in it and that doesn't work and you gotta go get a knife or a fork out of the drawer to pull that seal i remember aspirins without seals you know, it wasn't until Tylenol deal that we had to all of a sudden put these tamper-proof everything on, on stuff. You know, kids are going, what in the world? Uh, by the way, you know, you think about it for a minute. When you buy something, it doesn't have some kind of seal on it that authenticates it. Try to buy an NFL thing or something from, um, from NASCAR. And what do you have on it? You've got these, these hologram seals on it that show you that it's an authentic product. Why? Because it's saying this is the genuine deal. This is the real deal. You should know that this has not been tampered with. What Paul says is, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed. In other words, when God saved you, he put a seal on you to say this is the authentic thing. You are now the real deal. You are now a child of God. You are now mine. I I authenticate the fact that you are my child. And notice how long we're sealed for until the day of redemption. That's the day that you die. Paul says this. Here's what you need to understand. When you became a Christian, when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you put your faith and trust in Christ, ask God to forgive your sin. God, the Holy Spirit, came and lived in your heart as a seal of that you are now one of his And that is where he's going to live until the day you die. So everything you do impacts him. Everything you do impacts others. Everything you do impacts you. See, that's the problem with sin. Sin impacts you, first of all. You've got to understand that. When you and I sin, it has an an impact on us. Paul says, look... um, When you do something wrong, and the Holy Spirit is living within your life, 
You brought him, you brought that into his presence. So I go back to the parent idea. Have you ever done something wrong? Some of you go way back in this. You did something wrong, and your parents found out about it. And you had to get, you had to sit at like a table with them knowing about it, and there was that uncomfortable, awkward, I don't know what to say because I don't know what they're thinking. And you did. Remember that feeling? Welcome to what happens when you and I sin, and we bring sin into our lives with the Holy Spirit. There's that uncomfortableness. Are you still their child? Yes. Are you comfortable? No. Why? Because you made choices that affected the fellowship. And that's what Paul's saying. Be careful that you don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed because he's not part of your life until the day you die. Now he's going to give us six things that we need to get rid of. Here's what he says. Get rid of all bitterness. And we're going to walk through them slowly, one by one. Get rid of all bitterness. Here's what bitterness is. A cynical outlook towards another person. It blames others. Intensifies itself. It is a refusal to forgive. Aristotle said this. Bitterness is the resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. When the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 12 about bitterness, he talks about be careful lest the root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Here's what you need to understand about bitterness. It will destroy you. And it will destroy every relationship you have. When bitterness takes root and bitterness grows, it will impact everyone around you. Not just the person you're bitter at. Many of you have experienced being around an angry, bitter person. How much time did you want to spend with them? And here's what I've learned. Bitter people eventually run out of people to be bitter with. And if you're going to hang around a bitter person, it's just a matter of time before their bitterness turns on you. Because it's a lifestyle. Paul, understanding this, when he writes to these people, says, look, bitterness is a road you don't want to go down. You want to get rid of it. It is not going to help you in the end. And we're going to talk about why we think it will at the end here. But bitterness is something Paul basically says, get rid of it. You go, well, you don't understand how bad they hurt me. Okay, I don't. But I do know how, how, how bad bitterness will hurt you. I don't know about what they did to you, but I can tell you what bitterness will do to anyone, period. You will not be the exception. You will not get an asterisk that says it won't touch me. It will destroy you. Paul, or the writer of Hebrews says that this, lest any root of bitterness. He's, he says, look, when that thing takes root in your life, it will trouble you, and everyone around you will be impacted by it. It will impact your kids, it will impact your marriage, it will impact your work situation, it will impact your friendship, it will impact everything. 
You go, yeah, but you don't understand. This situation was so bad. Yeah, you don't understand. Satan will use that to destroy you. Get rid of it. Rage. I'll give you a 2018 translation. Losing your temper. Literally, the word means to boil. What's interesting is in the, in the book of Acts, when the people, when Christians were at Ephesus, which were, this is Ephesians, so it's written to people at Ephesus, the community became so upset with the Christians that they ran them out of town and they rioted against them. They turned and, and, and had a mob mentality against the Christians at Ephesus. Rage, same word. So when Paul writes this, believe me, these people had a good idea of this. It's that idea of what sets you off. What pushes your button that makes you get just boiling mad? By the way, we vote on Tuesday. question. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Shouldn't impact your world. Shouldn't shake your faith. Because my faith is sourced in Jesus Christ, not in what happens in the place that I live. You say, you say we shouldn't get angry? No, we're going to talk about anger next. That's next. But we're going to deal with rage right now, okay? It's that idea of boiling over. It's that idea of losing your temper. What is it that causes you to lose your temper? Here's what I found often. We blow up at the people who are closest to us. The people that we love and care about the most. And that old adage, hurt people hurt people. It's true. There's probably something bigger going on. Anger. It's interesting. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about be angry and sin not? This same word. It's the exact same word in the Greek. So you go, okay, now wait a minute. One verse, he tells me to be angry, but don't sin. And here verse, he's told me to get rid of anger. This is talking about the idea of an anger that you live with. Remember last week or two weeks ago when we talked about anger, I said anger is like the Kickstarter. It's, it's like a starter. The purpose of anger is to get you to go do something, to motivate you to, to, to do something about your passion. In other words, if you're angry about the political system of our, at our country and the way everything's going, great. That anger is just that Kickstarter to get you to go do something about it. Not to live that way permanently. You know, I use the illustration of your starter, and for some of you who don't understand, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go to your car, and you're going to either turn a key or push a button, or, or your car's going to magically do what it's supposed to do, and, and it's going to start. And what's going to happen is there's a little starter thingy, that has a little gear on it that engages your flywheel that turns your motor over. And it's on a spring. And so what happens is when you power it, that kicks it out, it starts the motor, and then when you turn that, when, when you let off, that spring disengages. And the whole flywheel starts to spin, and hopefully your car starts, or truck, or whatever you got out there. Anger is a kickstarter. It's, it's that starter. In the old days on motorcycles, you had to use that kick, you know, the kickstart to start a, start a motorcycle up. 
it, you don't continually do that the whole time you're riding a motorcycle. You don't continually get in your car and all the way home today, keep turning the key. Why? Because it'll ruin the, the, the starter and all kinds, it creates all kinds of problems. And Paul's saying, get rid of living a life full of anger all the time. You've met these people. They're angry at the world. How you doing? Oh, it's too sunny today. <laughs> oh, now it's cloudy. Well, is there anything that you're at? No, I'm mad at the world. You met these people. How much fun are they to be around? And Paul says, look, get rid of it. Fine. Get angry. Don't, don't sin. Don't, don't lose your temper. Don't lose control. Get angry. Kickstart it to go do something. And then get off of it. This idea of continually living in anger? Talk to anybody in the healthcare field. They'll tell you what that kind of lifestyle will do to you. Physiologically. What it will do to your body. Brawling. That's an interesting word. The idea of brawling. One 2018 word? Yelling. Now you just think about it for a minute. If you're constantly running around yelling, how effective do you think that is as a method of communication? Well, at least they'll hear me. No, they'll get so used to you yelling, they won't pay any attention to you yelling. You know, my wife is a master at this when it comes to five-year-olds. You know, the kids will be going nuts or whatever else. So my wife... You know, I've watched teachers who have little kids, and, and the good, effective teachers, they don't yell at these little kids. They talk to them. And they get their attention. And my wife, I wonder if it's, a, it's like, children. And I'm like, pinch it up! You know, I go, into, I go into a room. I can handle, I, I, think, I think the longest I've ever been in there is like four minutes, five minutes. Because I go into a room to see something, to say something, or to touch base with her, grab her keys, or whatever else. And, and the second I do, it's like all these five-year-olds. It's, it's like, a, it's, I am a magnet. It's like they all start lining up at her desk. And I'm like, why are these, if you know me, I'm... My space is my space. And when five-year-olds are all crowding around, you know, and my wife will just look at him and she'll go, I'm talking to an adult. Go sit down. I'm like, go away! <laughs> Paul says, look, get rid of the yelling. Get rid of the blood. Slander. Slander is basically talking about somebody else in order to make yourself look better. I ran into this recently. I, I, this guy I knew, I had never really met, never had a discussion with him more than probably five minutes, ever. And we're in a situation where we had about 10, 15 minutes, and this person started going on and on and on about their ex and how horrible their ex was. And I'm like, I, I tried to change the conversation I don't know how many times, you know, and oh, they did this, and they did this, and they did, and I can't believe it. What do you think about that? And I walked away, 
going, you know what? I heard far more about their ex than I ever cared to hear about. But you know who I thought worse about? See, slander tells you more about you and tells people more about you than it does about the person you're slandering. And I've met people who are divorced. And I have to pry a little bit to say, hey, you know, what, what happened? I have people go, well, you know, they had stuff and I had stuff and we just couldn't get together with our stuff. Now, we can be friends. You know, because I'm not going to, because by the way, here's what you need to learn about people who slander. Someone who slanders other people will eventually slander you. If you're a person who slanders other people, like, no, I only slander people who are bad. No, no, no. You'll eventually slander other people too. Paul says, get rid of it. Does it have a place in the life of a Christ follower? The Gentile world, yes, that's what they do. But we're not the Gentile world. We put off the stuff of the Gentile world. And then he talks about every form of malice. You know what malice is? I just want something bad to happen to them. I just hope they get the karma that's coming to them. Oh, their business went under? Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> that's, that's, that's malice. Paul said, look, I didn't have any place in life for Christians. Get rid of it. Again, why? Because it's going to destroy you. It's going to hurt you. So let's talk about two takeaways as we, as we head into the week. Here's the first one. Here's the first thing. Let's be careful this week of sin and grieving the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, again, it's not about what it does. It's not like my sin is going to hurt the Holy Spirit. My sin is going to hurt the Holy Spirit who wants the best for me. Paul doesn't say to get rid of this stuff just because he's got a list. of. He, Paul says, get rid of these things because they grieve the Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit is like that father. He's looking at you going, look, you need to get rid of bitterness because if you don't, if you don't, you're going to have a miserable life. You're going to start getting angry at people that don't have anything to do with your deal? And the next thing you know, you're going to start turning against other people? And then people are going to get away from you, and you're not going to know what to do, so you're going to get angry at them? And you're just going to end up this bitter, old, single, by-yourself person. And the Holy Spirit looks at you and goes, I see so much potential. I don't want that for you. Don't, don't go down that road. Get rid of that stuff. It talks about the idea of rage. Losing your temper. The Holy Spirit wants so much more for you. I mean, the Holy Spirit wants you to be able to come up against a situation and be in control. Not just lose it. The Holy Spirit wants your anger to not be something you live with 24-7. Because that will eat away at you. That Holy Spirit's looking at you going, I want so much more for you. The idea of slander. I don't want you to run around talking about everybody else. You know, just worry about you. Get your act together. I don't want you, every time you turn around, you're yelling to try to get somebody's attention. 
that's not good for you. I don't, I don't want you. I don't want you running around hoping bad things happen to people. I mean, that kind of mentality, where does that end for you? And Paul says, I want you to, to live in such a way that you don't grieve the Spirit of God. And there, in order to do that, you need to realize these are six things that the Holy Spirit, that God, that Paul says, look, they, they are not healthy for you. They will eat away at your soul. They will eat away at your relationships. They'll undermine the very thing that you're trying to establish in your life as solid. And Paul steps back and goes, look, don't, don't, don't let those things get out of control that way. I like what he talks about here. Most of what he's talking about here deals with our speech. We need to change the way we talk. I think we need to be careful about grieving the Holy Spirit. I think we need to really look at how we talk. You know why we don't like these things? You know why we like these things and we don't want to not do these things? Okay? Because here's the thing. When I do these things, the focus is on somebody else. See, I can be bitter because you mistreated me. It's about what you did to me and what I should, the way it should have worked for me. I could be, lose my temper because of something you said or did to me. I can yell because it's about me being heard. I can, I can, I can slander because that makes me look better and you look bad. See, all, the reason we do these things is because these are about us. If I don't do these things, then I have to think about me. And I have to deal with my heart. Because you see, in order to not lose my temper, what does that mean I have to do? I have to control my temper. It's now my problem. Bitterness is about me wrestling with the idea of, yes, I was mistreated, but I'm going to respond in a proper way. Just like my Lord did when he was mistreated. Brawling, yelling, talking about somebody else, sharing all of the juicy gossip to make somebody else look bad and me look good. That means I have to control and keep my mouth shut and not talk about somebody else in a negative, critical way to tear them down in order to make myself look better. See, in order to get rid of these things, I have to deal with me. The Gentiles could care less. The Gentile in their world, their world is about themselves looking better and doing good. So they have no problem doing these things. But as a Christian, by the way, is not this, do you ever find, you ever find these issues with Jesus? You go, well, he was angry in the temple. Yeah, he kick-started him to go do something. Read the passage where he turns over the tables. He actually goes in the night before. Sees it, goes back, makes a plan, comes back the next day. It wasn't a walked in the temple and lost his cool, no. 
No. There was, there was a calculation to what he did. It wasn't losing his cool, huh? What he saw grieved his heart. He said, I'm going to go in and make a statement. And he did. And he got their attention. That's the difference. And, and, and I want to challenge you with this. Because this week, what I want us to really do is to sit back and look at our speech. Because you see, here's what the Bible teaches. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, my speech is a reflection of my heart. You go, ooh, I don't like that. Well, I don't either, but that's what it is. Listen to what James said. When, 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 when the Bible was written to these young believers, these new Christians, the first book the church had was not Matthew. It was James. James chapter 3. Listen to what James says. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Now, if you grew up on the East Coast at all, you know something about this. They call it brackish water. There are only certain types of things that can survive in that water because of the combination of it. My brethren, my brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He says, you really want to know what's going on in your heart? Look at your speech. (laughs) BJ, you have no idea how bad my language is. You have no idea how many of those things that I embrace every single week. I I get it. That's why we're talking about. Because we want to grow and mature. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And if we're going to do that, then we have to change something. These are heart issues. They're not just simply things that I go on and go, okay, you know, I'm just going to try to talk nicer. It's a heart issue. Bitterness is a heart issue. Losing your temper is a heart issue. Slander, making somebody else look bad so you can look good, is a heart issue. Malice, walking around wanting something bad to have, that's a heart issue. And if we're going to grow and mature and be the kind of people God intended us to be, then we have to deal with our hearts. And next week, we're going to talk about what we have to change in our hearts. And it's going to, be, it's going to lay the groundwork for how you do this. But this week, I just want you to sit down and say, all right, Lord, here's what I want. I want you to show me this week these things. When I lose my temper this week, I want you to convict me about it. Lord, when I, start to, when I start to lose my temper, Lord, I want you to help me to stop, to count to a million, and then decide to say something. You know? Lord, when I run into that person who has hurt me so deeply, I want you to help me to either not say something mean, or... Even better, to say something nice. 
for me, when I run into some of those people, I would love to tell you that I'm at a place in Christian growth where I can speak nicely. I'm at a point in Christian growth where I just keep my mouth shut. And that's a big progression. Where I just have to say nothing. Because it still hurts. Still hurts. One of the things as a pastor, you know, somebody mentioned pastor appreciation, and you need to know this. We feel loved here. We've always felt loved here. People have been more than gracious and kind and generous. And you're like, oh, I forgot to do something for pastor appreciation. Just don't worry about it. Catch it some other year. Um, I mean, honestly, we know that we cared about. So don't, I don't want you to. But can I tell you one of the hardest things of this job? Is when I watch people who I know if they don't change, it's going to be a train wreck. And I have to sit back and watch the accident happen. And I watch their family, and I watch loved ones, and I watch people pitch in and try to help the person, and the person just is so bent, and it grieves you as a pastor to see all of that potential and to know that the road they're heading down is preventable. But yet, they continue to go forward and go forward and go forward, and you just have to step back and go, when it all hits the fan, I want them to know I love them, and I want to be one of the people that they call. But dear God, please, step in so it doesn't have to get that bad. And it breaks your heart. It breaks your heart. And the encouraging thing is when I watch people who are headed down that path who go, you know what, I'm going to change. And I'm going to get rid of some things and I'm going to do some things. And I watch them be spared all of that grief. I'm going to end, before I do the benediction part of it, I'm going to end with this idea. There are a lot of people who if they give you their testimony, they'll stand up and they'll talk about how horrible their life was. You know, God saved me from alcohol and drugs, and I was doing this, and I was doing that, and I was in jail, and I did, you know, and, and, and those people, you know, and they go, now I'm saved, and I'm a Christian, and my life's turned around, and I'm serving God, blah, blah, blah. And the Christian church as a whole, we sit there and we applaud, and we go, oh, the grace of God is so amazing, yay. Can I tell you where I think the grace of God is even more amazing? Is when we have a little kid that comes into the service, and they play with the toys on the thing. And they grow up and they embrace Christ. And they embrace Christianity and they embrace biblical principle. And they go their entire life and never have that story. And they spare themselves all of the pain and the heartache and the discipline and the heartbreak that those other people have to live with. And I look at those situations and I say, that's where the grace of God is most incredible. To be a part of that. And I want to challenge you this week. We need to put off some of this stuff. We need to get rid of it. It's not helping our relationship with the Holy Spirit, our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's not helping the people around us. It's not helping us. Put off. Next week we'll talk about put on. 
So I end this morning with this. Paul encourages us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit is not about us hurting God. It is about a God who hurts for us. The best check of our heart is to look at our speech. Our speech is, what is, is, our speech is a reflection of what is happening within our hearts. We've got to be honest with ourselves in order to change our speech from the inside out. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it's easy to talk about this, but God, it's awful hard to live it. We all struggle with these issues. Lord, we need to really take a good, hard, honest look at what's going on in our heart and help us to be honest enough to deal with some of this stuff. And Lord, we don't want to be bitter, angry people. We don't want to be people who are always yelling and tearing down those around us. People who are walking around, Lord, just waiting for something bad to happen to somebody who's hurt us. Lord, that's not the way you want us to live. So, God, you're going to have to help us to be aware of it. And you're going to have to help us to change our attitudes and our hearts so that we can do it differently. And, um, Lord, we all know it's what's best. But uh, sometimes, Lord, doing the best is not what's easy. So help us to do the hard things um, instead of the easy things. These things we ask in your name. Amen.